Good morning, saints of God. How's everybody doing? Good. A brisk Sunday morning today. I live in Florida. I don't want to be cold. I'll be honest with you, but it's nice every once in a while. But here we are. So glad you're here worshiping with us. Uh, special welcome if you're new or visiting. There are cards on the seat backs in front of you. You can grab one of those, fill it out with as much information as you'd like, and drop it in one of the black boxes as you leave. It's a great way to communicate with us. Uh, so take advantage of that. Uh, lots of things happening in the life of the church as usual. Uh, my wife and I have five kids, and we were once in a stage where we had preschoolers. We made it through that stage. Um, it is a challenging time with young kids and changing diapers and such. I haven't had to do that in quite a while, thank God. Um, but uh, we have, a, it is a challenging time, but one thing that really helped us through that time was Good News Church and our Christian community with like-minded believers all pushing in the same direction to raise our kids and make it through. So there's a special breakfast next week. Next Sunday at 9 a.m. Uh, for preschool parents. Uh, so a great way to connect with other people on your stage in life. So take advantage of that. There's going to be food, uh, which is always a good thing. And Tavanya's worked really hard uh, to provide some tools to help you uh, connect with others and, and thrive during that season. So that's next Sunday. So um, I have an opera. There's one verse that I think about a lot, and it's this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And one thing we do with our church planting is we partner with visionaries around the world. We call them movement leaders who have a vision for their country to plant churches and reach them with the gospel. And so one of these guys I got to talk to this week, and his name is Andres Garza, and he oversees church planting in all of Latin America. So he's kind of a big deal. He's got a lot of responsibility. And we were talking about the joys and sorrows in life and ministry. Because a lot of times, as Smiley says, they're happening, happening simultaneously, right? And so he was telling me in his own life, in 2023, he was able to marry, you know, have one of his daughters get married, which was amazing. And another one of his daughters had multiple surgeries. And so the joys and sorrows happening at the same time. And so he also told me about some, you know, some areas of some churches where we're planting, such as Colombia, Chile, Ecuador, Mexico where there's some really great reports of how God's moving and gathering people and people are coming to faith and the churches are growing, which is amazing. Praise God. And there's also some significant challenges. Uh, one particular church planter made some poor decisions and he's being disciplined and the leaders are coming around him to help him through this. And it's super challenging. Yet God is at work in the joys and sorrows of life, right? So I wanted to thank you all for your prayers for our church planters. Uh, near the big map in the lobby, there's uh, some new signage with our church plants that we partnered with for 2024. So I'd love for you to go look at that list, maybe snap a picture of it, pray for our church planters. It's a difficult work that they're doing, and it's awesome that we get to be partners with these guys and their families as they're seeking to make disciples of the nation. So thank you for giving so faithfully and sacrificially. Uh, as a global outreach team, we work really hard to be good stewards of those resources and invest those wisely in these in these leaders. So thank you. Uh, I would like to pray as we invite Smiley to come up. So join me in prayer. Father, thank you for who you are. Father, Son, and Spirit, thank you that we can gather as your people, that we can hear your word proclaimed, that we can give, that we can sing uh, songs of praise and worship to you that we can fellowship with your people. Uh, it is a gift. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak through Smiley this morning, that you would 
you that your spirit would convict our hearts, that you would inspire us to, uh, to go from here and live out our faith, and that we'd be a bright light in this community. Father, we do pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, for our church planters, our movement leaders, uh, for, their, for their wives, for their children, for their grandchildren. Lord, I pray that you would work uh, a great spirit-led work in their hearts, that they would live out the gospel, and that there would be amazing fruit this year uh, here locally in St. John's County, throughout Florida, and throughout the rest of the world. Lord, thank you that you're building your church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Lord, we're just uh, thankful for who you are and that we get to be here today. So bless our time of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Travis. And we did not uh, coordinate this, but as Travis spoke at the first service, what he shared about joys and sorrows going on at the same time, that's really what we're going to be learning about in the message today. At 9 o'clock, I think some of you would be encouraged to, to know that we have a lot of folks that are meeting to, uh, for a class on the meaning of marriage, and we have people that are single, people that have been married a long time, and people who are thinking about marriage all gathering together, and, and really, really encouraged to appreciate Joe and Sally investing in folks, uh, and we rejoice over those that are there. Back in the dark ages, they used to have something called newspapers. And in the St. Augustine record, they would have something that they would talk about the first babies born in a new year, and they would be recognized. And so we're really thankful that we saw the first two people who put their faith in Christ this past week, and we rejoice with that, right? <clears throat> now, some of you know this, like, um, so... We have our first two evangelists, too. So we have two down and 200 to go. Yes, the last three years, God has doubled the number of evangelists in our church. And so this year, that would go from being 101 to 202. That's what we're praying for, and we'd love for each one of you to say, boy, I'd love to be one of those people who have a chance this year to, to introduce one of my friends to my best friend. Uh, w will you join me in, in praying for that? Matter of fact, let's do that now. Lord, thank you so much for Joe and Sally investing in, in folks about the meaning of marriage. Lord, help those that are married to stay married, those that are preparing to be prepared, uh, that those who want to get married, that you would help them to find someone who loves you even more than they do. Lord, thank you for the first two people who said yes to you this year and believed in you. Lord, we pray they would be multiplied. Lord, we do pray that we would see over 200 people this year introduce a friend to their best friend. And we are thankful we have your word, and we do pray you would teach us today. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you're new, uh, we believe the Bible is God's word. I mean, can you imagine what our lives would be like if we really believe that? I mean, if we really believe that this was God's Word, wouldn't we want to get up and read it? Wouldn't we want be super excited about Sunday? We get to gather together and open up the Word of God and hear it together. So if you're new, we're, we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 5. If you don't, bring a Bible with you. It is a really good book. And... 
To get a little running start, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. So if you're able to stand, would you stand while we listen to God's Word? When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Okay, you may be seated. Really important Bible question. What Old Testament prophet opened up a French candy shop? Jeremiah. What book did he write? What? Laments, right? Some of you are getting there, okay? Lamentations? Okay. Where was I? Okay. Now, get the context here. This is so good. Jesus' disciples gather together. Can you imagine that? We get to listen to one of his disciple-making meetings. You ever wonder how he made disciples? We get to listen in. His disciples come to him in the presence of a crowd, and the first thing he teaches them are the eight keys to happiness. The first thing. How many people do you know? How many people do you know who'd like to be happy? How many? Don't you? What, what if Jesus sits us down and says, here's how you can be happy? Strider did a great job last week. He read the first key to happiness. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Strider taught us the reason we're happy is because we have God's favor. And what does the Bible say? If God is for us, what? Who can be against us? So no wonder we're happy we have God's favor. And what does it mean to be poor in spirit? We learn to be in poor spirit means we surrender to King Jesus. And when King Jesus moves in, he says, follow me. <laughs> and King Jesus says, I'm wiser than you, follow me. And if we're poor in spirit, we agree and say, you lead and we'll follow. And that's the path to happiness. And Jesus says, I'm, I know the path to happiness better than you do. And when we're poor in spirit, we say, you do. And so we follow him. So we kind of understand the first key. But the second key is very puzzling, right? Uh, blessed or happy are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. And, and so to me, the, the point of today's message is going to be that happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And, and you look at that and say, that makes what? No sense. It almost seems like what Jesus is saying is happy are the unhappy, doesn't it? But let me submit to you. Doesn't the Bible say that God's ways are what? We're not our ways, and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Matter of fact, I would submit to you that everything Jesus says to us is the opposite of our culture, isn't it? He says that eternal life is a free gift from God, doesn't he? And yet we think we need to earn it. And Jesus says, listen, if you want to be great, the way to be great is you descend to greatness. Isn't that the opposite of our culture? And Jesus says, if you really want to be happy, it's more happy to give than to receive. Ah, everything Jesus says to us is counterintuitive. 
And so what we're going to learn today is that happiness and tears are not mutually exclusive. If we're going to be citizens of the kingdom, we're going to learn how we can be happy and weep at the same time. One of my favorite people, one of my favorite people, her name is Wendy, and if I, some of you know her, and if I described her, I would say she is a joyfully broken person. What is life like in the kingdom? It is being joyfully broken people. Wendy is joyful, she's happy, and we can be too because we have God's favor. Not only do we have God's favor, but the joy giver moves into us and he invites us to follow him for more joy. Not convinced? Look at this verse in John 15, verse 11. Jesus says we have a joy problem. And I want you to know it's not too much, it's too little. He says, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. What if we believe that? The joy giver has moved in. The reason we're joyful is because we're happy that we have God's favor and we're following the joyful one. And yet if you're around Wendy, you realize she's broken. And aren't we all? We are broken people living in a broken world. And so when the Bible says, happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, we need to learn from the king how to be joyfully broken people at the same time, joyful and, and, and broken. And so as we begin to unpack that, I, I want to ask three questions. And the first question is, what are we to mourn? We're going to learn about mourning today. What are we to mourn? And we're going to learn the first thing we mourn is our own sin. The second thing we mourn is we mourn the sins of others. And thirdly, we're going to learn that we mourn over the fact that we live in a broken, sin-scarred world, don't we? Well, well, well then, if that's the path to happiness, what keeps us from mourning? And what keeps us from mourning is we refuse to believe the gospel. We refuse to believe how bad our sin problem is, and that keeps us from mourning as we ought. And we also refuse to believe how good the good news is, and that keeps us from mourning. And then we're going to learn how Jesus can help us mourn and how he can help us be happy. Because you know what Jesus is going to teach us? Cheer up. You're much worse than you ever thought you were. That's what makes us mourn. But then you know what he says? Cheer up. God's love for you is so much greater than you ever imagined. Isn't that what the great song says? How does the great song go? It says what? Towards grace, what? That taught my heart to fear. We mourn and then what? And then grace, my fears relieved, we're comforted and joyful. Uh, so, let's start. Where do we mourn? And where do we find comfort? We mourn over our sin, and we find comfort in Jesus, right? Oh, here's the gospel in 1 Timothy 1, 15. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance. Remember how Jesus sometimes would go, truly, truly, he'd say, wake up. 
Paul's little line when he wants you to pay attention is this. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Don't miss this. Now notice what he says. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to help good people get better. That's what most people think, that, that Jesus came into the world. You guys are doing a good job. Just try a little harder. But it's not what it says. Listen, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Jesus says to us, cheer up, you're much worse than you think you are. It's not just that you have sinned, committed crime after crime against God, but you are sinners. Well, what does that mean? It means we actually think we're wiser than God. You say, what? See, God gives us the Ten Commandments. They're a description of the happy life and the beautiful life. God gives them to us. Here's how to be happy. Here's a beautiful life. The first one, he says, you shall have no other gods ahead of me. And what do we say? It's a good idea. But I, what? Have a better idea. And so we put ourselves first. Because we're sinners, we commit a crime against God. And then God gives this fifth commandment. He says, here's the way to be happy. Here's the way to a beautiful life. Honor your father and mother. And what do we say? That's a good idea. But what? <laughs> I've got a better idea. And we don't do it, right? We commit a crime against God. And God gives us a second, seventh commandment. He says sex belongs in marriage. And we say, well, that's a pretty good idea. It's kind of outdated. I've got a better idea. And so we commit crime after crime against God. And God says in the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness. And we say, that's a good idea, maybe for other people, but I've got a better idea. And so we lie, right? Listen, we are sinners, and because of that, we think we're wiser than God, so we commit crime after crime against God, and God says what we deserve for what we've done is hell. Cheer up, Jesus says. You're much worse than you think you are. But then he says, cheer up. God's love for you is so much greater than you. God, that Jesus came not to help good people get better, but Jesus came into the world to save sinners, even the foremost. You see, God the Son put on flesh and lived a perfect life for us. Oh, and then he went to the cross. And if you want to know what our sin really deserves, look at what Jesus experienced for us on the cross, that he became our substitute, our sins were placed on him, and he paid the full and awful penalty that our sins deserve, crying out from the cross, it is finished, paid in full. He died, he was buried, but the third day he rose from the grave. Death is the penalty for sin, and Jesus proved that the penalty had been paid in full, and he walked out. And he offers us salvation as a free gift. What is salvation? It's a salvation from sin, from death, from wasting our lives and our eternity. It's a salvation for forgiveness, the chance to do life and eternity with Jesus. And what does he require of us? That we receive the gift of salvation by faith. Oh, in Acts 16, a jailer to me asked the question of all questions. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? How can I be forgiven? How can I keep from wasting my life? How can I keep from wasting my eternity? What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe that Jesus did it all so you could have it all. 
which then raises the question, so what then does it mean to believe in Jesus? And we love to say that believing in Jesus is as simple as ABC, where we admit and believe and commit. Um, I'd love to give you an opportunity now as we close in prayer, a, a chance to believe. Uh, but, but it's so simple. It, it starts when we admit. There was a day in my life where I said, Jesus, I have sinned against you and I'm sorry. And if you have it, won't you? And then I said, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose, won't you? And then I committed Jesus, I'm going to quit trusting in myself, and I'm going to trust you, what you did for me. I'm going to trust you as Savior. Be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. And we trust Him as Lord. I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've not been saved, won't you admit and believe and commit? And if you have, won't you just thank Jesus? Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you that you've kept me from wasting my life and my eternity. And then when Jesus moves in, you see, he invites us to follow me. Now let's go back to 1 Timothy 1 because we're learning how to be joyfully broken. So look at this verse again. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I what? I what? am. Do you notice the tense of the verse? It's present tense. Do you see that? He didn't say, when I was persecuting the church, I was the chief of sinners. He says, I am what? Now. How can that be? How can an apostle be the chief sinner? We need to learn that so what it, we know what it means to be joyfully broken. So I've shown you this chart before, but let me show it to you again. It's called the cross chart. See the first cross? See, that Paul, as he began to know God, he knew something about God's holiness, and he knew something about his sinfulness. So early on in Paul's ministry, Paul would say, I am the least of the apostles. When he understood a little bit of his sin, he said, of all the apostles, I'm the least because I used to persecute Christians. A little bit later, he understood more of God's holiness, more of his sinfulness joyfully broken, right? And you know what he said then? I'm the least of believers. Oh, but when you get to the third cross, when Paul would get to 1 Timothy toward the end of his ministry, then he realized that he was the chief of sinners. Uh, that's what happens. The reason we're joyfully broken is we get closer and closer to Jesus. We become more and more aware of our sinfulness that, and that makes us mourn, but then we see what a great Savior we have, and then we're joyful. Recently, a lady was sharing with me when she started coming to Good News, she didn't like when I would always say I was the chief sinner in the room. She said she'd never heard a, a pastor say that, but listen, it's true. It's just true, and, and, and it's what the Bible says, that as I grow in Christ, I see more and more of my sinfulness. I understand that I'm a great sinner but I'm not discouraged because I have a great Savior. I'm joyfully broken, aren't you? You see, Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit so that we might live as joyfully broken people. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The way we walk as joyfully broken people, the Holy Spirit's always whispering, smiley, Jesus is wiser than you. 
follow him. Jesus knows the path to happiness better than you. Follow him. So listen, the first thing we need to learn uh, about the second key to happiness, happier those who mourn for they shall be comforted, is that we mourn over our sin. And we don't need to be afraid to mourn over our sin because it's true we're a great sa- sinners, but we have a great Savior. Secondly, we mourn. <clears throat> we mourn over the sins of others. We, we're surrounded by broken people, and so we mourn for their sins as well as our own. Uh, if, if you can find Nehemiah, it's a great book. You might turn there with me to Nehemiah 1. Otherwise, you can follow on the screens. And I'm going to show you how to mourn for the sins of others. Uh, but before I do, um, the nation of Israel fell to Babylon in about 600 B.C. And in about 536 B.C., uh, some Jews went back to rebuild the temple. And when the story of Nehemiah picks up in about 445 B.C., so the Israelites have been back in, Egypt, back in Israel for 100 years. Almost 100 years, but they haven't rebuilt the wall. So we pick up the story, Nehemiah 1.1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month Chislev in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity in about Jerusalem. Uh, there was a time, there wasn't an internet, did you know that? There was a time you didn't instantly know everything that happened around the world. So he's 750 miles away from his Jewish friends who had gone back. So he says, how is it? What's going on in Jerusalem? They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are burned with fire. Oh, the walls are torn down and we are surrounded by enemies who want to destroy us and God's people are filled with fear. Sounds a lot like what? Today, doesn't it? Don't we feel at times in a country that that the walls are torn down? Don't we feel sometimes that there's a growing hostility toward God? Is not the family under attack in our country? Is not the God's word and the church under attack? Don't we feel just like that? How do we mourn for others? When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. As we see our nation intent on running from God, do we mourn and weep and fast and pray? I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Isn't it great to have a great and awesome God? Do you know there's nothing too difficult for him? O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Aren't you glad he's a promise keeper? 
Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you day and night. On behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you, I and my father's house have sinned. We. Do you see the first person plural? I love that. He doesn't say those nutty Israelites back in Israel, they've, or they've not done this. He says, we've sinned. Do we pray like that? Lord, we have sinned against you and acted very corruptly against you and have not kept you, the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, <clears throat> though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen my, uh, to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. You know what he's doing? He's praying God's word back to God. We're encouraging, won't you pick up a study? Won't you read through Matthew with us? We read his word and then we pray back to God what we've read. And then we share that with others and that's exactly what he's doing. He says, remember what you said? And he's praying God's word back to him. Say, God, keep your word. Oh Lord, I beseech you. May your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. When he heard, he mourned. In his mourning, his godly sorrow moved him to action. He said, Lord, I'm not much. Matter of fact, look at what he is. I'm the cupbearer. You know what he was? A wine taster. But you know what? It, he made himself available. Lord, no one has rebuilt the wall. Lord, I'm willing to go. If you would open up the opportunity, I will go and I'll do my best to rebuild the wall. You see, he mourned and he was comforted because the Lord opened up an opportunity for him to go and rebuild the wall. Do we make ourselves available? As we look at a nation intent on running away from God, Jesus invites us to partner with him and make disciples who can make disciples, to go and preach the gospel. Do we partner with him or we just sit? And do you know what? They've been there for a hundred years. And one person prayed, and one person went, and one person rallied the people. And listen to what happens in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month, Elul, in, the, in 52 days. Did I read that right? They'd been there for 100 years. And one guy said, Lord, use me. And the wall was rebuilt in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it, All the saints surrounding us saw it. They lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. The people saw that and said, listen, God is doing something amazing. Wouldn't you like to be a part of something like that? 
where there was such a movement of people making disciples that when people looked at us, they said, wow, God is doing something. And then, and then we go on and, and they dedicated the temple or they dedicated the wall. And I love this. In Nehemiah 12, this is so good. Now on that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. Even the women and children uh, rejoiced that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. While the joy was heard throughout the land of God's people. You know what Nehemiah found when he went in to rebuild the wall? He found unstopping opposition. There was constant opposition and unbelievable joy, right? There's both. There's both, there's both joy and sorrows in following Jesus. Oh, in our joyless culture, you know what I dream about? So many people are coming to faith in Christ here and disciples being made, that the joy of what God's doing is heard throughout our... What is going on there? Those people are experiencing joy in the midst of sorrow, right? Doesn't Jesus invite us into that? Doesn't he say, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? Doesn't he? Uh, didn't he say, go and preach the gospel to all creation? And as we go, just like Nehemiah goes, what should we expect? We should expect hunger and hostility, right? Joy and tears. Let me show you Psalm 126. Look at this. This is so good. Those who sow in tears. Our hearts are broken over the sins of others, isn't it? And so we weep, Right? And, and we share the gospel, right? Those who sow in tears will reap with joyful shouting. But when the gospel is shared and people come to Christ, there's unbelievable joy, right? Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He who goes to and fro weeping. Expecting hunger. Not surprised when there's hostility, but there is weeping. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag. What we have is the gospel. We carry the gospel with us where we go shall indeed come with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with them. Oh, one of my greatest joys as a pastor is, is, is to get a text, to get an email from someone who says, Smiley, you won't believe what happened. This week I had a chance to share my best friend with a friend, and my friend came to know my best friend. It was so good. Isn't that what Jesus invites us to? Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those whose hearts are broken over lost people who engage in the mission for they will be comforted when they see people respond. Didn't Jesus say, uh, if a guy has a hundred sheep, his heart's broken, but when he looks for the one and then he finds it, what happens? Uh, happy are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Luke 15, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Uh, so we mourn. We mourn over our sins and we're comforted. We mourn over the sins of others and, and we're comforted. Uh, and then we mourn over the fact that we just live in a world that's broken. <laughs> we live in a broken, fallen, sin-scarred world and there's wars and divorce, and domestic violence, and there's hurricanes, and there's tornadoes, and there's cancer, and there's death. It's all broken. 
And deep inside of us, we long for something different. Do you know why? Because we were created for a person and a place. What we long for in our hearts is a person, and we long for a place. And the reason we long for a person and place is that's what we were created for. Do you know the Bible is one story, but it has four chapters of creation and fall and redemption and consummation, and it answers four questions. Where did everything come from, and what went wrong, and how do we fix it, and where are we going? And it all starts with creation. Where did everything come from? God created everything. And do you know what? In the beginning, we had a person and a place, and it was so good. The person God walked with us, the place was earth. There was paradise on earth. That's what we long for in our hearts. We long for a person and place, for paradise on earth with God. Well, what happened? Our first parents sinned, right? The fall wrecked everything, no person, no place. Tears came into the world, cancer came into the world, war came into the world, domestic violence came into the world. No person, no place. How do we fix it? We can't, but chapter 3, redemption, Jesus came to save us from our sins. And when we believe in Him, happier those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We're partially comforted in this life, partially because we get to do life with the person our hearts long for. We're partially comforted because we get the person, but we're not in the place. Oh, where are we headed? Chapter 4. Chapter 4 is consummation. One day, heaven is going to come to earth, and then we'll be fully comforted. Then we'll have that person and place that our hearts long for. Um, Listen, our... Are are you in a tough spot? Here's what's coming. Here's what's coming. Revelation 21, 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, been a Christian too long. The holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Did you know the party, heaven's where God is, did you know the party's coming to earth? Uh, and behold, a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among him, among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be walk among them. Don't you look forward to walking on earth where God is walking with us? Now notice, here's the place, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Don't you long for that day? And there will no longer be any death. I hate death. Won't, don't you look forward to living on earth where no one dies? One day it'll be true. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water without cost. It's free. Ah. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You see, when we're in this life, we can be reasonably happy. We can be reasonably happy because we have the person our hearts long for, but we're not in that place. But we're going to be supremely happy in the life to come. We'll be fully comforted because we'll have the person in the place that our hearts long for. So what do we mourn? We mourn. We mourn over our sin. 
the, the sins of others, there are our broken world that's been corrupted by sin. What keeps us from rejoicing is we refuse to believe both the bad news and the good news of the gospel. How can Jesus get in there? He says, cheer up. So I bet you can't guess what our action step is for the week. You know what I want you to do is I want you to cheer up. I want you to cheer up. I want you to learn how to preach the gospel to yourself first and then to others. Listen, here's how we preach the gospel to ourselves. Uh, let me show you in Matthew 7, verse 11. Now, as I was reading through Matthew, it's full of so many treasures. Join us this week. It's so good. But I read in Matthew 7. Now, remember, we need to cheer up. Why? Because Jesus says to us, you're much worse than you think you are, but also cheer up. God's love is so much greater than you ever imagined. So I want you to read this, worth, this verse with me, and then I'm going to ask you a question, right? Will you read it with me? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? Now Jesus is speaking to His disciples, Remember that. He's speaking to us. He's not speaking to lost people. He's speaking to his disciples. The disciples came. What are two things we learn about ourselves? What's the first thing we learn? What? We're I'm offended by that. Well, it's not me. It's Jesus. Jesus. And he says it rather casually, doesn't he? He says, if you... So one thing we learn is we're evil. What's the second thing we learn? We're children of God. We're, so what does he say? Cheer up, you're much worse than you think you are, if you then being evil. But then he says, cheer up, God's love is so much greater than you ever imagined. You're not just forgiven and saved, you're adopted into God's family. You have a father, you have a big brother, you have the Holy Spirit, you have an inheritance. Doesn't he say both? Um, cheer up. You're evil. Cheer up. You're God's child. If you're like me, you mess up a lot. Why are we disappointed? You know why we're disappointed? Because we imagine we're so much better than we really are. But not Jesus. He says, cheer up. Cheer up, you're evil. Cheer up, you're a child of God at the same time. That's why we're joyfully broken people. Yes, I am a great sinner. Oh, but let me tell you about Jesus. I have a great Savior who loves sinners, even me. All right. Then we also want to preach the gospel to others. We need to be able to say cheer up to others. So let me show you how to do that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, work with me here. Rejoice. What? Are you kidding me? That's what he says, right? Rejoice always, and then pray what? And then in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How many people ask me, Smiley, what is God's will for my life? Here it is. This is worth the price of admission, right? He says it's God's will for you, what? That you will rejoice always. I'm talking to people all the time and they're trying to tell me the difference between joy that never changes and happiness that's based on circumstances. And I say, if that were true, why does the Bible call us to what? Rejoice. You know what joy means? What? We lost our 
joy. And the reason we rejoice is what to recover our joy. We are joyfully broken people. The world is always stealing our joy. So we're continually rejoicing. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice in this. Your name is recorded in heaven. We rejoice. That's why we're joyful people. But we're broken people because there's a lot broken. That's why we pray what? All the time, because there's so much brokenness around us. How can we quit praying when we're surrounded by brokenness? And then we come back and give thanks. Take our country. I know some people, and they say, America is great. And I know other people, and they say, America is wicked. Which one's right? Both, isn't it? Are there not many things about our country that we should rejoice and be thankful for? Aren't there? But aren't there so many other things that are broken and wrong? You know, we have the gospel. It's what our country so needs, right? Uh, it's true of our nation. It's true of people. Uh, our hearts can have multiple emotions at the same time. We can have joy and sorrow at the same time. <laughs> Let me illustrate. Someone said when you become a mom or dad, there's a part of you that's never happier than your least happy child. It's true, isn't it? If you're a mom or a dad, there's a part of you that's never happier than your least happy child. But if you let your least happy child set the mood of your heart always, you're going to be miserable. We can be joyful, broken people as moms and dads at the same time. And it's important that we are. That's why we rejoice always. That's why we pray for the brokenness and in everything give thanks. And if you think that's challenging, imagine being me. If you're a pastor, there's a part of my heart that's never happier than the least happy member. I'm always aware of that member who's in the hospital, whose life is falling apart, who's addicted to drugs. My heart is always broken. There's a part of me. But at the same time, there's a part of me that's always what? That's always rejoicing. And you know what? They're going on at the same time. That's why we are joyfully broken people in this life. And we will be joyfully unbroken people in the life to come. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Oh, in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians um, Verse, chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and God of all comfort. Our culture is not going to comfort us, but, but our God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. There's going to be tears. There's going to be affliction who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts us with the gospel. Cheer up, you're so much worse than you think you are. Cheer up, God's love is so much greater so we can go and comfort others. 
For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Uh, well, smiley, how do, how, how, how do we do that? I, isn't Jesus our model? Isn't he our model in life and ministry? I forget who told me this, but this is so good. They said, you know what Jesus did? Jesus comforted the afflicted, and he afflicted the comfortable. It's true, isn't it? If you study the life of Jesus, with afflicted people, he comforted them. And with comfortable people, he afflicted them. When Jesus had afflicted, broken people come to him, you know what he said? He said, cheer up. You're broken. You're not the only one that's broken. We're all broken. And then he said, cheer up. God's love is so much greater than you ever imagined. Listen, you can't be too bad to be a Christian. You can only be too good. There's room for you. But what did Jesus do when he found comfortable people? You know what he did? He afflicted them. He said, sure up. You're so aware of the sins of others, and you're right. They're sinners, but so are you. You're far worse than you ever imagined. <laughs> but that's okay. Cheer up. God's love is so much greater. Listen. You can't be too bad to be a Christian, but you can be too good. Don't be too good to be a Christian. Oh, let me ask you, who do you know who's broken and afflicted? Wouldn't they love to hear? Wouldn't they love to hear what you've learned today? Won't you go to them and say, listen, it's true you're broken, but you're not the only broken person. We're all broken. Cheer up. God's love is so much greater than you ever imagined. Listen, you can't be too bad to be a Christian, only too good. There's room for you. Believe and you can be comforted. Who do you know who is very comfortable? Won't you go and afflict them, won't you? Won't you just go and say, yes, you're so aware of the sins of others and they're sinners, but listen, I am too, and it might surprise you, but you are as well. But it's okay. Cheer up. God's love. God's love is greater than you ever imagined. You can't be too bad to be a Christian, but you can be too good. Don't be too good. I know. I know some of you will say, you know, I'd I'd like to do that, uh, but I don't know how. Um, Nehemiah heard about Jerusalem. The walls were torn down, and he said, you know, I'm not much, but I'm available. What if our tears for, the, for our community and our nation moved us to action? Hmm? We would love to equip you to be a joyfully broken follower of Christ. We would love to equip you to be a joyfully broken disciple maker. For an hour a week, starting in February, we're going to start some new waves of disciple-making, and we would love to equip you. Don't waste your life. Jesus invites us to be in something great. And here's what would happen. We would hook you up with a disciple-maker, and he would say, see this sweet little notebook? Here's yours and here's mine. And uh, I learned this from Strider. It's really good. The difference between my notebook and yours is yours is empty and mine's full. And we're going to get together this year and for an hour a week, we're going to walk through this. And pretty soon, your notebook is going to look like my notebook so that at the end of this year, you can invite someone else to come follow Jesus with you. 
Wow. Don't you want to be a part of something great? Wouldn't it be amazing if the people in our town said, God's doing something, and the joy of good news was heard throughout the land. You can be a part of it. Don't miss out. Remember what Jesus said. He said, happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful that you didn't come to help good people get better. Lord, we're thankful that you came to save sinners. Listen, if you're here and you've never been saved, don't wait until it's too late. Jesus is here. Won't you tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and, and be my Savior and, um, and forgive me of all my sins and, and give me the gift of eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark that on your card? We, we'd love to celebrate with you. Lord, I pray this week that we would preach the gospel to ourselves over and over again. Cheer up. Cheer up. We're much worse. Cheer up. Your love is so much greater. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to share that gospel with others, that we really could afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Lord, I pray that you'd move among us, and many of us would say, Lord, equip me, equip me. Listen, if you'd like to be equipped... Won't you mark that on your card? Hey, Smiley, I'd love to be equipped. Won't you? You could put it on your card. You could email me. Starting in February, you'd like to be equipped. We'd love to invest in you. Lord, thank you for your word that happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted partially now and fully in the life to come. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.